Welcome back, folks, to another episode of the Drinking and Talking Fantasy Football Podcast. Big day for us here at Drinking Fantasy. We're live. Look at us. <laughs> Look at us getting all the technology going here. This is like those uh, later episodes of the Drew Carey show where they'd randomly do like a live episode, you know, out of the blue or like 30 Rock where they would just throw down a live episode and people weren't expecting it. I, mean, mm-hmm. I feel like that's what we've got going on here. Yeah, a little bit. But it's going to be much better because, let's face it, we're awesome. Better? I already thought I was, I was shooting above our standard for comparing us to 30 Rock, but all right, man, we, we can try. That's right. So for those of you who have not joined us in the past, uh, I am Dustin Lunt, your host. You can find me on Twitter at FFDustyDog. And my co-host, the other handsome gentleman in the other screen here, Jake Trowbridge. How are you doing, Jake? Good. Uh, I, <laughs> I am hanging in there. I'm still slowly recovering from a, a little bit of a low-grade ailment here that I had this week. I don't know why, man. I just got pummeled with shit here these last couple of weeks. So I, I'm not having a typical beer of choice because it just didn't sound good to me. So I'm, I'm doing something a little bit more medicinal, I think. Eh, you're staying on brand, though. You're still drinking. That's all that matters. Yeah, that was the important thing. I knew, especially in this live episode, I could mm-hmm. not be having a, an adult. Well, right yeah, now. not in the first one, at least. <laughs> yeah, so we've Speaking got a, which one are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking from Moore Brewing Company. We'll get it in front of the camera here. Oh, yeah. This is Lil Dusty. It is the Citra Dry Hopped Pale Ale coming in at 5.6%. And it is you, delicious. Can you be real with me? Do you buy beers because they have your name in the title? Well, this one, yes. I mean, why wouldn't you? If you saw Jake beer, like, you wouldn't go out and buy it. Yeah, you know what pisses me off is there really is no Jake beer that I've ever seen out in the world. I was hoping at least, like, Jake Busey by this point would have come out with his own beer. Uh, That's Gary Busey's son, by the way. Just want to let you know that. Uh, <laughs> so if he could just do me a solid and produce one, then I would drink probably nothing else. So well, right. well, there is that. So you said you weren't drinking beer. What are you drinking? I'm drinking uh, a, a nice little pink drink here. It really does look like medicine, I feel, I feel like. It's like Pepto-Bismol colored. It's a deep eddy, grapefruit-flavored vodka, a little soda, a little squeeze of lime in that bad boy. Nice. It sounds delicious. Sounds very refreshing. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Summer beverage. We're in the summertime. Uh, I would play part of that Will Smith song right now, but I don't think we have the rights cleared to it. So No, and I don't have the money available to pay for said uh, lawsuit against us in that and scenario. And you know Will Smith would be coming in hard uh, right now, given all of the stuff that's happening to, to him and Jay. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> we can't. We can't risk it. Um but that's all right. <laughs> Anyways, did we even talk about what this episode is about? No, we didn't. You were so excited to talk about your drink that we just skimmed right over it. Uh, so, no. so this week we are talking redraft strategies. We're in the middle of July here. Training camp is, quote unquote, scheduled to start here in the next couple weeks. We know there's probably not going to be preseason games at this point, but some people do start drafting as soon as training camp starts for the upcoming season. So we figured... Why not get an episode out there talking about our redraft strategies and things to think about during your draft uh, so that you are better prepared to win your league? Because that's what we're all here for. Well, I mean, yes, hypothetically, I want to win my league, but mostly I just don't want to look like an asshole at the draft. That's uh, really my biggest motivator for uh, fantasy football. 
Yeah, there is that as well. <laughs> uh, which I don't know if I accomplished during Scott Fishbowl, but that's uh, we don't have to talk about. That. No, we don't. But, uh, you know what we do have to talk about, though? What's that? Our... Drunk, 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 That's right. What do we got, Jake? This one is just a delight. It comes in from at AA underscore Ron 14. Which I love that. This is a this is a fresh one, too. So, uh, and you know, I didn't even, he didn't even technically submit this, but I found it out in the world and I said that we had to bring it onto the show because it was just that good. So all the tweets said, what did I do after drinking all day? I woke up to me trading Sanders. That's Miles Sanders. I was going to say, not Emmanuel. Not Emmanuel. That is Miles Sanders for Kenyon Drake and Jordan Howard. So... This one felt very bad for the person who posted it on Twitter. But the reason that I want to talk about this one, I'm not sure that's it's that lopsided of a trade, if I'm being honest. I think for this year, it's probably not that lopsided. But I think long term, uh, he definitely lost out on that. Uh, I, I love both Kenny and Drake and Miles Sanders for this year. And for that fact, I kind of low-key like Jordan Howard as well. Uh, at, least, at least to get that first and second down. Uh, rushing on his team flex play let's be honest i'm I'm not saying that he is going to be an all-star but for this year yeah i don't think that that's that bad but for next year or moving on in dynasty i would much rather have miles sanders kenny drake is what 27 years old i believe Kenny drake okay whatever his real age is we're gonna look it up he's 26 right <laughs> 26 i'm sorry uh, and he'll be 26 throughout the season. He's a January birthday. He's a Sagittarius. Oh. Uh, Kenyon Drake, I think it's a Sagittarius. I don't know. Kenyon Drake is 26 now, but his legs are only like 22 because he's barely gotten any run while he was in Miami. It's like a Lamar Miller situation, but I guess that's not the best comp because we all know no, what happened to Lamar. Exactly. But so you're you're worried about Kenyon Drake for like the next couple of years, or you just really like Miles Sanders? for many years. I just really like Miles Sanders for the long term. He's He's got a few years of age on him, so that's already the first thing that I love. I really like their offense there in Philly. He, you know he's going to be used. Although, I suppose you could argue the same thing for Kenyon Drake. Uh, we saw what happened last year. It's not that I dislike Kenyon Drake at all. I, just, I would just prefer Miles Sanders in this scenario. That's fair. Well, clearly the person who posts this on Twitter does as well, because uh, those aren't the words of somebody pleased with their drum trade. No. But if I'm being honest here, I, I rate this drum trade out of a, a bushel of, of beers. I rate this like three beers deep. Like you're just feeling good enough and, and you want some activity. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm saying, I, I don't think it's that bad. Yeah, it's definitely not the worst we've seen. This is what, maybe handful of natty lights into the evening yeah if you're gonna be gross and drink lights, then yes, <laughs> i think this is a class you're trading that personally. oh so what, so, would, what uh, would you rate it then well obviously i would rate it a few of your little dusties or whatever you're drinking currently oh perfect uh that i could get on board with see how i brought that back into the fold you're welcome thank you <laughs> all right should we get into the meat of the episode here yeah let's meet it up all right so Redraft strategy. Why don't you start us off here, Jake? What's one thing you think we should 
consider in your draft. Yeah, there's so many ways that, that this can go when you're just talking about redraft strategy because it's it's wide open. The world is truly your oyster when you're on the clock for redraft. And we've talked about strategies in the past, certainly. You can find previous episodes from last offseason where we're talking about uh, redraft and dynasty strategies uh, for your draft. But it also changes just a little bit every year, I feel like. At least for me, it does. Some mm-hmm. people might be stuck in their 2009 thought processes. I hope not. <laughs> it's possible. Uh, but if, if So if we're going to talk about one thing to really kick us off, I think it has to be be flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of draft preparation that you can do. You can find the mock drafts out there. I love a good mock draft, in fact. Uh, but if Scott Fishbowl taught me anything, it's that you should not put too much credence into them because your league mates are not necessarily going to be following ADP so much that you can predict exactly where your round is going to take you. Yeah. So you can have a lot of good intentions going into a draft, right? But by round three, you might have to start throwing half of that shit out because mm-hmm. somebody took, you know, uh, Rob Gronkowski in the second round, and all of a sudden... Uh, that opens up some new possibilities for you because that person's a fucking idiot. So you would have to be flexible on your redraft strategy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, especially in your home league. It's a little bit different if, if you know, you're know you on Twitter and you're involved in the fantasy community on Twitter where you might get in a redraft with, with some quote-unquote more, more expert-type uh, personalities out there. But yeah, your home leagues, it's all bets are off. As we have found out in our home league here, it's just we, we can do all the prep in the world, but, but come draft day, it's just a fucking crapshoot. <laughs> it's absurd. When eight quarterbacks fly off the board in the first two rounds, all of a sudden, yeah, those expert mocks that you were participating in, or mm-hmm. those lovely... There are a lot of mock apps out there now, which are all wonderful, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love, like, Fantasy Bros has a great one, too, that's just an automated... You don't, you don't need to wait on a bunch of real-life people to do it. It just spits out through ADP uh, on an automated basis. But again... That does not take into account some of your idiot leadmates mm-hmm. from your colleagues. So, uh, God, I really hope none of them are listening to this uh, at the moment, by the way. Well, they had to find out eventually. <laughs> We're not naming names, let's be clear. We're just saying some of them. That's very true. So It could be any one of them, but they know who they are. That's right. So so kind of going hand in hand with that as... As kind of, you know, as you're saying, staying fluid, staying water when you're drafting, uh, make sure you're capitalizing on that value if value is coming to you. So like you said, if quarterbacks, you know, say eight quarterbacks in your scenario go in the first round, well, you know, there's going to be a crap ton of running backs and wide receivers that are going to fall because of that. So so take advantage of that in, in all of the knowledge we're providing you. Take advantage. Draft those guys. Let the value come to you, and, and kind of let the draft unfold to your feet there, and, and and draft accordingly. Yeah. Can I ask you a question though? So when we're talking about letting value fall, which I mm-hmm. think is a great point, because at a certain point you just have to deal with the draft board as it comes to you. Mm-hmm. But is there a point in the draft for you? This has happened to me where there's a guy that I do not want on my team. I plainly just don't want this guy. But he's fallen so far down the draft board that I feel like an idiot for passing up the the perceived value of that player in that round. You got a guy whose ADP is third round. Somehow he makes it down to you the sixth. I still don't like this player. I don't really believe in this player. But there's almost a point where like I feel tricked into taking them mm-hmm. because of that perceived value. So do you in your mindset, when that happens, 
Are you strong enough to move on? Or do you sometimes feel like you have to take I think it depends on the player. Uh, Who? I, I, I know. I know. I, I just, let's be honest, my convictions aren't that strong when it comes to certain players and not having them on my team for whatever reason. Because um, this is fantasy football and I'm ultimately out to win. I don't really have anything personally invested in, in these said players uh, uh, when, when I'm drafted. Right. Either, like, you know, off the field shenanigans or whatever. But just like, you know, you don't really think that they're that great, and, and typically you would avoid them, but it's like, what at what point do you have to put your own uh, ADP or your own tiers aside almost in favor of value? Well, at, at some point, I, I would. I guess it just depends on, again, who that player is and how far they're falling in the draft, uh, based on the tiers that I come with, up with. So uh, I don't know if you've seen out on Twitter and for the folks out there, I've been posting my, my top redraft preseason or middle of the off season uh, rankings for the upcoming season here. And I come up with my own tiers based on those rankings and, and I go off of that. So if there's a guy that say in my tier two, that was, you know, around three and he's the only one left and also there's a bunch of guys in like tier four or tier five. Well, yeah, I would probably draft him just because I feel like he would have a, a good season so I would draft him because I'm getting much better value because I, I would have him ranked how I figure his season's going to end up. Does that make sense? Sure. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of, so where you value these guys, when you're going through your tier, which I think is a great point that we should talk about because you said tiers, mm-hmm. notice it say like hardcore ranks. Mm-hmm. We do, and I did my first real true rankings here in this off season. But there's a, a major difference between rankings and tier groups Correct. and what you use to follow along with at your draft. Mm-hmm. I mean, speaking back to our home league, it's like you can print off that top 300 list from ESPN, you know, and you can follow that along for your draft and you can do it based off of rankings. But I feel like that's a little more fickle mm-hmm. uh, and tiers seem to be a better way to go. Now, you are a lot better about creating tiers for your players. You want to talk a little bit about about that? Yeah, and I can can't really say I'm super technical or have a very you know definite plan of how I uh, attack my tiers. Basically, I I go through and I have my rankings of what I think the players are going to be projected finishing the season at. Most players, I just assume health in 16 games, unless I know, for instance, like Debo Samuel. Uh, I don't know that he would be back to start the season necessarily. Maybe miss a game or two, so I adjusted that accordingly in his stats. But then I just take a look at, at how the players end up being ranked in their, their season totals for points. And then I, I just put them into tiers based on those point totals within a specific range. Uh, and each tier is a little bit different on what that range is. Some tiers could have one guy or two guys. Some, as you get later down, will have 20 guys in it. Uh, just kind of depends on the position and, and where we are in the draft of how I think they're going to finish. Do you, do you put them in tiers based on position, or do you just put them based on general scoring and let yourself sort it out on the draft? I do it by position. So I have tiers okay. set up for each position. Um, again, so I can see, okay, there's been a run on quarterbacks. I'm now in tier five, but there's a tier two wide receiver still available. I would probably go for the tier two wide receiver because that will have better value than drafting a quarterback at, at this position. I love that. 
And I think that leads into another great point that we should be making here. So when we had J.J. Zacharyson on the podcast a few episodes ago, Drake, by the way, <laughs> uh, name drop. Um, when we had him on, one of the biggest things that he said was like, you know, for wide receivers and redraft, it's a lot easier to know who's kind of going to be that top tier a lot of the times. Like, it's hard to find those those guys who are going to suddenly become a top 12 wide receiver at the back end of your draft. And so obviously when you're deciding on tiers two and you're looking between positions, you're going to have to give some consideration to that. You're going to have to figure out like, all right, I've, I've got a few options at quarterback. And that's where it can get tricky, though, is if you've only got three or four guys that you're comfortable with all of a sudden at quarterback left on the board. And even though they're at a much lower tier than what those wide receivers are that are on the board, it's like, do you have to, what do you do in that situation? I mean, do you do you fall into the trap of I got to chase that QB because there might not be any left to me, or do you just go for the value, the best available player, if you will, for the wide receiver? Then it depends if it's one of my late round QBs that I really think is going to have a, a really good season, and and again, it kind of depends on the flow of your draft. So if if you're at the point being a late round QB as as we like to do in our drafts. If teams are starting to draft a second quarterback already, you know, and you haven't drafted your first one yet, uh, that would be time where you probably have to forego your tiers just so you can get your solid starter. Uh, you can always play off the waiver wire later in the season to pick up another quarterback or something, but you really do need a solid starter to, to start the season and someone you think is going to play all 16 games. So that's where I would forego the tiers it's kind of based on where how your draft is going and each individual person needs to you know monitor their draft and, and make that decision interesting um and one thing that's really a good consideration of that is like don't get too scared about runs mm -hmm. when a positional run happens but you have to be a little bit cautious about it i don't think you should over invest just because people are suddenly taking this position and it's easy to get really trigger happy in those mm -hmm. situations. It's like, let's say, hypothetically, you're in a spot where you're at the 11th pick. So you're at the turn. You have a lot of picks coming and going before you get back on the mm -hmm. line. You've got, if my math is correct here, you've got about 20 picks that are happening between uh, you and your next round. So if you start to see, let's say hypothetically, uh, six quarterbacks fly off the board at that point. That's a good amount, mm -hmm. but look at your rankings and see how many guys here would I actually really, truly be happy with uh, if I if I pass on them for this round and roll the dice again versus what kind of value could I get at the running back position here. And, like, don't get scared off so much that you pass up those great values, I guess, mm -hmm. is the point, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it it can be scary, and sometimes you're going to lose out on that end of the deal, you know, by taking that chance. But, eh, it's fantasy football. Have some fun with it. Take the chances every once in a while. Because that one chance you take and you draft that player, stay instead of a quarterback, that could be the player that, that breaks out and has an amazing season and wins you the championship. Right. It's like, hey, do you want to feel good that you ended up with uh, Derek Carr on your team because he's like the last guy basically available? And at that point, you might as well just punt the whole fucking draft. <laughs> <laughs> if you really <laughs> Derek Carr, 
just whatever, deal with it. Or am I going to be that guy who, you know, snags Deontay Johnson when he inevitably finishes as a top 15 receiver? Right. Or it could have been last year drafting Mark Andrews super late instead of maybe grabbing your first quarterback in that, you know, round 9 to 11 range. He could have been a league winner for you. So uh, it's just something to consider and keep in mind when you're drafting. Yeah. Or if you're a baller like I am and you just pick up Lamar Jackson after you've fulfilled all of your other positional needs, uh, then you still don't win your league somehow. <laughs> uh, yeah. So so speaking of being on runs and and we had a comment here from one of our, our, our uh, YouTube viewers here. Hi, Jordan. To start the run. So that's great if you can start runs. That is awesome. But if you find yourself on the bad side of a run, don't tilt. Take, try to take some emotion out of this. Uh, look at it from kind of a more, not say clinical aspect, but but just don't tilt. Just just stay relaxed. Have a sip of beer or your cocktail of choice or water if you don't drink. That's fine. But just don't tilt. Just because if you tilt, you start making bad decisions and it can just snowball the rest of your draft and, and really put you in a bad spot. So just try to keep a level head when your guys get sniped or you find yourself at the end of a run uh, and, and things will work out in the end. First of all, you know how hard it is not to tilt after you've been drinking uh, in preparation for your draft. Oh, absolutely. So, especially in those middle rounds. It's almost impossible not to do at least a little bit of tilting uh, once you're <laughs> once you're a few drinks in, at least for me. Well, but one thing I want to call out is actually a shout out uh, to the FF Hitman, to Mike Wright. There's one thing that he said that has really stuck with me. He, said, he just randomly threw it out on Twitter like it's no big fucking deal. But... Uh, he said it, it was in regards to trades, but it definitely applies here. He said one bad trade does not ruin your team. You make a bad trade, you deal with it, you put that shit in the past. He didn't say shit, but I know he wanted to. And then you make another better trade after that, right? Yes. Like you don't compound the issue by just dwelling on that terrible trade that you made. And then because of that, now you force yourself into making another trade that you don't want to make a trade. Uh, that you didn't want to make, and then you have to make another trade that you didn't want to make to try and reverse the effects of that trade. It's like, just leave that go, and that's the same deal with drafting. Whatever you did in round six doesn't necessarily have to affect your entire team. You don't need to let it mm-hmm. do that. That's right. It's okay sure. in the moment, have a little mini tilt for about 30 seconds. Just just tilt for a few minutes for a minute there, get it off your chest, and then move on. I like it. Alright, so what like else, what, what other advice do you have for redraft here you know what my biggest one is what's that, that we've talked about almost too much on this show but because of the episode we have to talk about it a little bit more avoid rookie wide receivers unless mm-hmm. caveat unless you are very confident in your personal assessments of those players or you have somebody that you truly believe in that you can reference uh who is who's a good scout you know, one of the two, like if, if you have some level of confidence in them and you know that they're your guy, or that they'll produce this year, go for it. Because mm-hmm. it's you know, fantasy football, get your guys. But in general, I'm all about avoiding wide receivers, um, especially at the draft, because maybe they will be great for you in week nine. And they very well could be because they could come on. I mean, guys who had A.J. Brown, I think he's a great example for the last year. We talked about him plenty during the season last mm-hmm. year. He had a blow-up game. I think it was maybe week four. He had a blow-up game. In fact, I came back the next episode and called for him to have a back-to-back blow-up game. Did not happen. He did not become super-duper relevant again until later in the season. And then, yes, at that point, he was actually great for your team. Mm -hmm. But those first weeks, 
it's just a roster clog at that situation. Hopefully you held on to the guy and, and dealt with it, but also if you held on to the guy, you had that dicey proposition of starting him, not starting him, you made your decisions tougher mm-hmm. for your lineup. I try and avoid that as much as possible. And and I'll scoop him up off the waiver wire, hopefully, before somebody else does, but otherwise I'm I'm passing. Mm-hmm. Same here. We are definitely avoid rookie wide receivers on this podcast. We should change the name of the podcast to avoid rookie <laughs> wide receivers. <laughs> That's how strongly we feel about this. Yes, yeah. Later in the season, like you said, wait until later in the season, use your waiver priority to to get those guys once they start getting more involved with their offense. Because let's be honest, wide receiver is a difficult position to pick up on the nuance of, as opposed to running backs. Running backs, they just go hand the ball, you hit the hole, you make your own own hole, juke some guys and go. Like it's not quite as involved as a wide receiver where you have to have the timing down with the quarterback. You know, you have to be running the right route. There's different coverages. Uh, it, it's it's just a, a, a different beast that, that it takes a little bit more for wide receivers, I feel, to get comfortable in the offense. So that's why you see the later season breakouts like the A.J. Browns of the world. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to like oversimplify that. You can just toss in a rookie running back and feel good about it. No, no, no. There are some things that you have to look into. You have to look at what their competition truly is in the backfield. Are they okay as a as a as a blocker? You know, can they can they do pass protection okay enough to stay on the field? Like, mm-hmm. sure, you have to consider a couple of things, but it's not nearly as much as for rookie wide receivers. No, uh, but I mean, so, the reason I said that is because we see wide or wide receivers running backs all the time. One running back goes down, another one comes in, and and really, there's not normally a ton of drop off in production. So it, it's a more replaceable position, is what as unless, unless you're talking, unless you're talking about like Patrick Laird, I would say there is a pretty steep drop off in production. Point taken. Actually, that's not true because who was ahead of him on the depth chart? Wasn't that wasn't that your your man, Miles Gaskin? Well, no, Kalen no, Balaj. Kalen Balaj. Yeah, he's not my so man. Really, <laughs> don't you put that evil on me. I'm going to try and stick you with that before the uh, before the year is done here. Right. Speaking about young players, let's go to the opposite side of the spectrum then. The overlooked mm-hmm. gem for uh, redraft, at least. Especially if you are in a dynasty mindset. If you play mm-hmm. mostly dynasty, which we both kind of transitioned into now, it can mm-hmm. be sometimes tough to get yourself to dig yourself out of that. It really is. Uh, <laughs> right? And so sometimes I think older players get too overlooked mm-hmm. because people are thinking it from a dynasty perspective mm-hmm. and so you don't want to pass up just because they're old you don't want to totally pass them over right are there guys yeah are there guys that you feel very comfortable in drafting this year that might be overlooked because they're just old a um, couple guys off the top of my head and one i drafted in scott fishbowl uh was larry fitzgerald i got him i think in the 17th round uh, of my draft, I saw him going in like the twentieth round of drafts. It's like the dude is still going to contribute. I mean, maybe he doesn't have the ceiling he used to, but you know he's going to have a solid floor. Like he's he's going to break some records this year, so so you got to imagine that he's he's going to have a good floor. Uh, another one, and I don't know how much of a stretch this really is. It's uh, Julian Edelman. I personally am kind of out on him a little bit. But he's 34 years old, but he does nothing but produce. But people might think this year, with Brady being gone, Cam Newton's coming in, they're changing, you know, we'll change the offense a little bit. He hasn't been the bastion of health throughout his career. So he's someone that if he does drop in drafts, 
I'm probably trying to snake him up a little later, uh, just because chances are pretty good. He's going to have another solid season. Will it be wide receiver one or that mid-range wide receiver two like we're used to seeing out of him? That might be a bit of a stretch, but you never know, though, either. Like, it could happen because he's continued to do it for years. It could happen. I was actually really excited about it happening again with J.R. instead of there. I was so ready to, to scoop up uh, Edelman when he inevitably fell in redraft formats um, and even make some really low offers in Dynasty for mm-hmm. him just depending on all that. But then when Cam, and now I am scared because I don't know if Cam is going to utilize him the same way. I don't feel like he's going to jump off in the same way that Jared Stidham might have jumped mm-hmm. off. That could just be a lack of proper analysis on my part. Uh, and I could totally be wrong on this, but yeah, now I'm a little more nervous. But if this makes him drop even further down the board, then there's going to come a point where as much as I may not love him, I'm mm-hmm. probably going to have to take him because of where he falls. Yeah, do you have any guys that you're targeting as more veteran overlooked players? I actually have a couple of running backs that I'm very interested in for this year that are above that cutoff for a lot of people. And first and foremost, it's Mark Ingram, who, God, he's done nothing but be an RB1. He's mm-hmm. an RB1 for four out of the last five seasons, I believe. Yes. And, and I think like, the only reason he wasn't uh, didn't have a thousand yards in one season is because he was suspended for the four games to start the year. Otherwise, I think he would have been. So, uh, so yeah, he's been nothing but consistency and solid and healthy throughout his career, and he's perpetually overlooked. I hundred percent agree. Yeah, and, and the big issue now is he's thirty, and mm-hmm. so there you go, thirty-year-old running back. I'm out. However, <laughs> this is why it's important to to look a little closer. Um, is that while it's true, not many 30-year-old running backs have given you super high fantasy production. It's worth noting that the dude barely had any rushing attempts for the first few years of his mm-hmm. career. So again, it's the age, yes, but it's also the amount of attempts that affect that age. And he had super low attempts, super low volumes for those first few years. So really, I look at him like a 28-year-old running back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he is a... He is a sneaky, sneaky pick for this season. I think everybody's writing him off, one, because of the age, and two, because of J.K. Dobbins uh, being drafted by by the Ravens. I think for this season, he's still going to have a very, very solid season. Now, it may not be what we saw last year quite to that degree, but, uh, yeah, if he again, if he falls in drafts a little bit, I would have no problem scooping him up. He is gonna, He's going to, again, have a very solid floor, I feel like, for this season. Yeah, he's going as the RB26 right now, and he's the the lowest guy in ADP that I see that I truly believe could and will finish as an RB1 or near RB1. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he just seems like an obvious value to me. Mm-hmm. Another guy who I'm interested in that a lot of people are not as interested in is Le'Veon Bell. Um, and I understand the Adam Gaze concerns and the whole offense concerns, but my thought is last year is as bad as it gets Last year's mm-hmm. as bad gets for that team. There is nowhere to go but up. And he still finished as a serviceable running back last year. He was RB15? Right around there. Mark. Yeah, I mean, um, we, we did discuss this in greater detail last week on our AFC East Divisional Preview. So go back and listen to that episode if you want to hear all the details. But I 100% agree, again, with you. I would totally take him as my RB2 on my team this season, without a doubt. If he fell to me as my RB2, I would be ecstatic because they yeah, did not... There's a very good chance that he will. Yeah. Fall to I mean, the Jets did a really tried to bolster their offensive line this year. So assuming 
everyone comes into the season healthy and they're able to get some practice time where they can gel a bit, uh, there's no reason why he can't produce better than he did last year. I agree. We, we are in such agreement. On the, is it just because we're so happy to be broadcasting live? Is that why we're so uh, agreeable here tonight? I think so. Or, or just great minds think alike. Eh. <laughs> are you saying we don't have great minds? Uh, look, I, I, I'm hopeful that that's the case. But I, I just don't know. That's more of an indictment against me than it is you, Dustin. Don't worry. Okay, good. Uh, but... but um, is there anything this this year in particular that you're looking to implement for your strategies more so than in previous years? Is, have you looked at it that way where you're considering some different types of moves than you would previously? Um, more so this year than previous years, I'm going to stay away from rookies, especially early in the draft. Because, you know, like uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, maybe even like the CD Lambs of the world or uh, Jalen Ragers, like they might go somewhat early in the draft just because of the hype and the name and opportunity on their teams. But with the limited training camp and actual practice times, I feel like teams are going to have. I, I want I want to stay away from them more so than previous seasons and really stick more with the veteran guys, uh, just because they've already been in the offense. Uh, and have uh, rapport with the quarterback or the other players on the on the squad. Uh, same goes for players that were traded or moved teams in the offseason. So like DeAndre Hopkins, don't get me wrong, still very high on him. He'll probably be a top 10 wide receiver without a doubt. But unless he falls a little bit, um, I, I just I, I have slight concerns. Let's put it that way. Uh, we've, we've seen him produce with just god-awful quarterbacks in the past. But this is going to be a totally new offensive scheme for him. So I, I, I have some concerns. So, so those two things are kind of things I'm, I'm looking at for this upcoming year uh, to kind of avoid or maybe uh, step off the gas a little bit. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And more so than ever, rookie tight ends, boy, woof. Like, mm-hmm. do I not want anything to do with you? Last year, it was a little bit different because you've got TJ Hawkinson coming in. You've got Noah Fan coming in. You've got these guys just high-credentialed mm-hmm. dudes. So people were making exceptions. They were still stretching. I feel like they still went earlier than they should have last year, um, even given those high credentials and even given the fact that they had a full off season to acclimate and all that. Mm-hmm. Now the short off season is 100% in there. Uh, and there's nobody who is that to me. I haven't seen anybody flaunted that way of a Hawkinson or fan. Yeah, you know, that Cole, keeps getting thrown around. Cole Komet, yeah, no. or is he buried under the other five thousand uh, tight ends on the Bears squad? Yes, he was just going to happen, and we can relish it this year because he's no longer on the Packers. But Jimmy Graham will go bottle his way around for about two point three yards per catch, but they'll just trot him out there because mm-hmm. he's. Reliable uh, in air quotes. So I'm not I'm not feeling the the commit love like some people are though. Him and Adam Troutman have both been getting weird amounts of hype kind of off and on throughout this off season. I'm not I'm just not buying it. I get why people did it for Scott Fishbowl because you're looking at a lot of upside. Exactly. But if I'm it see to me it's a wasted pick if you're picking up somebody like that. And same with. Devin CFC, uh Patriots rookie tight end, or the other one, his name I forget. Yeah, uh, Let, let's be honest. Bill Belichick knows what he's doing. The reason why Gronk was such a big thing is because it was freaking Gronk, and he was a generational tight end. 
Belichick knew this and game planned the offense around that. He doesn't have a generational Gronk on his team anymore, so he's not going to game plan that. So stop trying to get Patriots tight ends to be a thing anymore. That's just not a thing. It's square peg and round hole. Exactly. Okay? Yes. Damn it. Uh, the only thing I it did have, a, I had a brief moment. I'll just, I'll, I'll be transparent here because, you know, I like to show my, my warts uh, as much as my, my accolades here, is when Cam signed to New England, there was a brief part of me that thought, oh wait, he also loves tight ends. Maybe there is something to this. And I was thinking, like, maybe I target, you know, the, the quote-unquote veteran tight end mm-hmm. on that um, until I looked and saw Matt Lacoste was on the better <laughs> of that game. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's no one there. Maybe I shouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't know, man. Like, young quarterbacks even I'm scared for. Joe Burrow I'm scared for this year, and I know he's going to go higher than I would ever take him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and the whole shortened offseason then with offensive lines, because the hope is that Cincinnati's offensive line is going to get better because mm-hmm. had a pick last year that was injured all last year that was a very high-grade guy that's going to come in and he's going to help that situation out. And I think they traded for somebody else that's going to come in and help make them better. But if they don't have time, if that unit doesn't have time to get together, it's going to be tough to expect that. Mm-hmm. So now, now I'm nervous about Joe Burrow and a little bit about Joe Burrow's pass catchers as well. I don't know. Yeah, yes and no. I mean... There'll be some bumps in the road, but chances are they're going to be playing from behind in a lot of games, so they're going to have to throw a lot. So for the wide receivers, at least, I think they'll be fine. A.J. Green, Tyler Boyd, they'll be fine this season. Joe Mixon, he'll get his, uh, especially if they kind of continue to what they did towards the end of last season, where we really saw him come on. But yeah, that's, that's an offense I might not be investing too heavily in. Again, if my tears say so and the value's there, then yes, I will. But I might be, I'll probably uh, take a second think about it here. Uh, extra extra swig of beer before I make a draft pick. Yeah, there you go. Some, some extra thinking juice yes. before you click, click the button on that one. Well, speaking of AJ Green, here's a good time to transition into this thought. Uh, injury prone. Mm-hmm. Hate, uh, hate using that phrase. And I'm not going to say the quote-unquote thing anymore around injury prone because I've already in my head realized I've said that a lot this episode. I feel like that should be added to the drinking game sheet because I just pumped out about six quote-unquotes in this first 45 minutes here. But in any case, AJ Green Mm -hmm. might actually deserve the injury prone tag. And there aren't many players I would ever do that about. But but, but there's the thought of injury discounts. Mm -hmm. Every year, people really wildly have this disproportionate views on what an injury is going to do to a player. And in redraft, again, if your dynasty mindset, it's tough to overlook that sometimes. Mm-hmm. But you made a note here about like players, go after the guys who have that perception that aren't really following that pattern. So like Carson Wentz, Keenan Allen, guys who've had fluke injuries mm-hmm. and a good amount of them that have at some point devalued them way too much. Yeah, like Keenan Allen, like he, he was injured the first couple seasons, but since then, he's been relatively healthy and on the field, but I still think people think of him as injury-prone because he had those season-ending, back-to-back, fluky injuries, like a lacerated kidney, like, what the well, hell? It's a lacerated kidney. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's such a random, odd thing that, that yes, it happened, but it's it's not like he's tweaking his hamstring every other week. You know, this this is something where it happened once, it's probably a one in a million chance that it's not going to happen again, or 
it will happen again. However, however that goes, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but I know exactly what you're saying. But yeah, so definitely try to get those injury discounts, and, and as you see these players falling, take advantage of that. Again, it's all taking advantage of your draft and knowing the tendencies of your home league players, uh, general managers, however you want to say it, in your league. Like, like you know, like we know in our league, there's one person in particular that is a huge Seahawks Raiders fan. And you know that they're going to draft those players eventually and probably pretty early. So take advantage last of that. Year, last year, this person took Josh Jacobs in the first round uh, just to really prove the dedication. Can we also talk about, I know this is off topic, but can we talk about the fact that they're both a Seahawks and Raiders fan as if that combination just rolls off the tongue and nobody should ever question it. I, know. I don't know where that stemmed from, but it's very strange and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. It, it is on. Yeah, know the homers in your league. Like, oh, well, to be fair, in our league, so let's use this as an example, it's a local situation, right? It's our buds that we get together with for this draft. The majority of us are Packers homers. Mm-hmm. So you can almost say to yourself, why well, might as well take Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, take them all off my draft board because there's there's no shot in hell that I'm getting that. Pretty much every single Packer, I, I, I will not have a shot at drafting this year unless for some reason, say... I'm at like the end of the first round where I'm at the turn and maybe like Adams falls to me because we do have a bunch of quarterbacks. That would be like the only way other than that. Yeah. It's basically for, for players, how comfortable I am drafting them. Say Rogers, like he's probably not someone I will get because he's still drafted on name value, but he's most likely going to end up outside my top 12 for this season. Not saying he can't finish there, but just our intimate knowledge of the offense and the coaching here, you know, that's just something that we I, I, I won't be drafting him because he's gonna go way too early and I'm just not gonna draft him there. Speaking of which, can we talk about name value for a second and, and mm-hmm. how much of a mind fuck it is? Uh, even for people who are established and study and prepare for these drafts. Mm-hmm. I know I give you I give you shit and and I'm self deprecating as well on this, but we're not complete fucking idiots about fantasy football. <laughs> but even for us, I think it's sometimes really hard to avoid that name recognition swing mm-hmm. just a little bit. Absolutely. Another example, and I hate to keep bringing this up because I know people hate hearing about Scott Fishbowl all the fucking time. But on the clock for Scott Fishbowl, I'm in the back of the third round. I'm at 309, and I see DeAndre Hopkins sitting there. In my head, the first thought. Was that's DeAndre Hopkins? I have to take him in the third round. Mm-hmm. My second thought, which came too late, was he's on a new offense with an abbreviated offseason. This could be more trouble. Mm-hmm. Also, that draft does not emphasize wide receivers. We drop like flies. So that's why he's sitting there. But again, you're on the clock, you're in your head, you're thinking, I see this name. I know this guy. I love this player. So quick, boom. Like I'm, I'm drafting this guy. And so even it's just that difficulty of being on the clock sometimes and avoiding name recognition. It can be tricky. Do you have do you have any, I don't know, any advice on how not to fall into that trap? I think it goes back to what we said earlier in this episode. You have your tiers set up and, and you stick to your tiers. That way, you know right where your guys, where you value them, and you'll know, okay, he's not in the same tier as other players available right now. It's, he's in a tier lower couple tiers lower don't draft them because of the name because you know this is where my tiers are set up 
So I, I think using the tiers and sticking to those is a good way to avoid that. And and just another note on, on doing tiers and, and projections and everything. If you don't want to go through the effort of coming up with your own projections, because let's be honest, it does take a lot of effort to go through team by team and, and stat out everyone. If you don't want to do that, find someone you trust out there, whether it's us here at Drinking Fantasy or, or somewhere else in the, in the Twitterverse fantasy football world. Find someone you trust. Use their projections to come up with your own tiers then. That they're taking half the work off the table for you or three quarters of the work. Uh, uh, find someone you trust out there and, and, and use them to, to help make yourself better for this upcoming season and, and, and seasons beyond. This is where it's so reasonable, too. You see, I used to when I started fantasy football, I was like, there's no way I'm going to pay $10 for somebody's, you know, charts of where they have mm-hmm. players. A, because I was too egotistical for my own good, and, and B, I was just a cheap ass. So it's like, if, especially if you're playing a lot of leagues, there are so many great resources like that. And in fact, we can throw up a link on Twitter. I'll do that a little bit later about some some resources that I've just seen uh, out there. It's like five bucks for this this tier uh, formula or, or whatever the product is. It's so worth it come draft mm-hmm. day. Um, like you said, and it's a time saver because... Mm-hmm. I can only get about two years in before my Excel spreadsheets start to look a lot worse than they should be. So. Yeah, uh, not everyone is as into fantasy football and data analysis and everything else like we are. And that's fine. I mean, fantasy football is, is and should be accessible to everyone, all levels. Use the resources that are out there. You know, we, we've talked about, you know, uh, fantasy pros. They're a great free resource out there that that you can use um you know there, there's a lot of great free resources if you don't want to pay you just got to go out and find them and and like i said find someone you trust or people you trust and 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 use them as guides to help you be more informed because that's what it's all about it's being informed making good decisions as, as you're going into your draft cough cough ball blast cough cough red shirts fancy pod these people who put out this stuff for mm-hmm. free on you, that's the thing. You don't even need to spend the five bucks because no. you find what you trust and you follow. And that's really, I think, maybe an overlooked part of uh, of drafting sometimes is utilizing Twitter. Mm-hmm. Honestly, um, a not just because notifications are very important on draft day, because if somebody randomly tears an ACL in their backyard playing catch with their kid, and you're on the clock, you can avoid drafting them because that kind of shit actually does happen, uh, unfortunately. But also because you can curate your own resources, uh, you follow the people that you want to follow, you can create lists for yourself, something I didn't know anything about until somebody randomly added me to one uh, a while back. It's like, oh, this is a thing? You can just add, you know, specific people to a list. So you can say draft day, you know, prep. Here are the people that I want to follow, whose rankings I trust, whose projections I trust, mm-hmm. whose advice I want to follow for this. Use that free resource, and then you can just aggregate that information for yourself. Get some of that other shit out of there that you don't, you know, don't necessarily believe in and trust. And kind of condense it down. Yeah, and hopefully we are on that list. Let's be honest. We want to be a resource <laughs> for you, but there are plenty of other great resources out there. So I have at least two more things I want to touch on here before we call Ooh. it a night. At least be two. Gentle. Uh, first off, make sure you study when you're in the draft. You're studying your teammates, other uh, uh, GMs in your league. Study their rosters as you're going through the draft. If it's possible on whatever uh, platform you're using for drafting, 
if, if you can see the full draft board, have that up as much as possible because you can see what positions all the other owners, uh, GMs have, uh, have drafted already, which can help then inform yourself of what picks might be coming up in the next round or two rounds. You know, if someone only has one quarterback and a lot of quarterbacks are going off the board, a lot of people are drafting a second quarterback. Well, it's like, well, maybe they're going to be drafting a second quarterback soon. Maybe I want to possibly jump ahead of them if I feel like the guy I'm, I'm shooting for isn't going to make it. So, so use your draft board to to help, again, make informed decisions on the next upcoming couple rounds in your draft. Would you say you should be looking at your league mates' holes? Yeah! <laughs> That's where you insert the CSI opening thing. Dustin, uh, help me out. I, no, it was awful. God damn it. All right. <laughs> I maintain that that was a perfectly executed joke. Uh, can I mention one thing that I really want mm-hmm. to talk about here before, yeah. we, before we wrap this up? Is, is given this season, we've already uh, hinted around it and talked about it a little bit, but the abbreviated shortened offseason. Fingers crossed we're going to have real football this year. If we do, we're still going to have to deal with the fact that practices are not going to be normal. OTAs are not going to be normal. Mm-hmm. So along with that, when we had uh, Dr. Edwin Horace on the podcast as well, he mentioned some uh, potential effects of COVID and not exercising correctly and blah, blah, blah. Now, for a lot of that, it was down the road. It wasn't necessarily for this year. It might have been for coming years. Um, but there was some inclination that potentially we could see more injuries this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, potentially. I'm typically not a handcuff guy. Like running backs, I don't typically running back handcuff. That's not a thing that I want to target in the late rounds. I'm normally foregoing those for high upside wide receivers, tight ends, whatever. This year, I'm, I'm really giving some consideration to that. Um, not even because of the injury aspect, but because of the quarantine aspect, which is if, if a player tests positive, um, they're, they're shelled for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Running back in particular, we just talked about replaceability for running back earlier in the show. It's the easiest position to do that for. So a guy, let's say CMC, gets diagnosed with COVID-19. He's on the shelf for two weeks. You have to immediately value his backup, whoever that is, crazy high. Mm-hmm. Because he just inherited this massive fucking workload that you're not going to get from a wide receiver eight that you're hoping is going to get some you know, some run later in the year. And just so, so everyone knows, really- it's Reggie Bonifant. That's his backup. Thank you. Thank you, man. Uh, yeah, really, 100%. I feel that way, too. So he's a guy in my last round that I'm 100% going to scoop up. And in normal years, I'd be pissed because if CMC doesn't uh, have to step away, well, then you have a roster clock. Mm-hmm. And in a normal year, yeah, you're banking on an injury that has like a 10% shot maybe at happening. But this year, I feel like you've got about a 50-50 shot mm-hmm. of going down. And so it's just a much higher reward situation. Uh, so yeah. I'm, I'm handcuffing this year, man. Yeah, and, and along the same lines, talking COVID, this is the perfect time of the year uh, to get with your league mates, talk to your commissioner, get a vote out there about expanding your IR spots for COVID players. Uh, because there is no reason you should have to have them on your bench just sitting there, taking up space, if, if they can't play and they're ruled out. And, and, and it is not an injury, but, but there, there needs to be a designation for that. And then also, too, if your league uses uh, the FAB system, so free agent budget, uh, maybe talk to your commissioner about upping that for this season. If you do a $100 budget, 
maybe do 150, maybe 200, because there is a good possibility that you're going to be making more waiver claims than normal. And, and if these very valued handcuffs are out on your waiver wire, you will be spending more. So there, there's that opportunity that where, where you, you just don't go all in on one guy and then two weeks later another one of your players goes out and you need to get another backup but you already spent all your fab so someone else snags it. So just a couple other considerations there too uh, as far as league settings go for this year. Yeah, just manage your fab more diligently I think this year. Like don't don't be that guy because you're right because you're going to have to use probably a lot more waiver pickups than you ever mm-hmm. have before. So don't go oh shit I, I got to pick up uh, Jordan Wilkins this this week because Marlon Mack is out and so uh, he might get a couple of runs while Jonathan Taylor does all of the actual work and so I'm going to spend thirty dollars <laughs> on Jordan Wilkins mm-hmm. uh, which would be stupid in a normal year but extra stupid this year. That's right. That's right. Do you have anything else, Jake? You want to? Tell our, our listeners here. Uh, fuck kickers and defenses. Yes. If you still have them nearly, don't draft them until the last two rounds. There's no reason to. You you might think, oh, Jacksonville's defense, they were great last year. They're going to be great again this year. No. It's such a fickle position. You have no clue what's going to go on. Just it almost it. never happens. No. It almost never duplicates. Same thing with kickers. The one Unless you're Steve Kowski. Well, I drafted him early one season, and he had a very off year that year, so it backfired on me. So it just just don't do it. Draft him in your last two rounds. And also, don't worry about bye weeks. So what if all your players have the same bye week? You take one loss on the season. It doesn't matter. That's my philosophy. I have to disagree with you just a tad bit on that. I think it's reasonable during the draft to not concern yourself too much too much with the bye week. I think it should be a tucker for you, though. If you have two guys in a similar tier, for example, that are on the clock and the last two in that tier, that, you should absolutely look at that at that bye, though. That can be a tiebreaker, uh, and, and I would I would, I would would consider bye weeks uh, if I'm drafting a second quarterback, mm-hmm. just because you don't want two quarter, you know, your two quarterbacks on the same bye. Uh, you do want to be able to have uh, a legitimate uh, roster each week to submit. Uh, but when it comes to other positions, it's like, well, running back, wide receiver, it's, I don't, I just don't pay attention. Or if my running back and quarterback have the same one, it's like, whatever, I'll take the loss for one week if it means my team is stacked every other week. Yes. Or if you have free run of the waivers and you have a good bench size and you don't have to worry about it because you can swap out a couple of those dudes mm-hmm. and make it work. You know, all good, all good. So, yes, mm-hmm. I, I agree, I think, with the principle of it, but I think there are some asterisks next to it. That, mm-hmm. uh, yes. Well, how do you feel about this, Jake? You feel like we did good? I feel like we did great. Oh, now, right. The only thing that needs to uh, sustain this episode is an actual season to follow so everybody can use this advice. Yeah, very true, very true. So thank you, folks, for tuning in this week. Uh, for YouTube, hit the subscribe button and the little bell. You'll get notified when we go live. As I said earlier, and we've seen scrolling across the bottom here for our YouTube watchers, we are at Drinking Fantasy on Twitter. So check us out there. We have lots of great content. You can find me at FFDustyDog on Twitter. You can find me at Jake Trowbridge. And until next week, folks, keep drinking and talking fantasy football. Cheers, FFers.